Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to, or welcome to, Gardening Naturally. Looks like it's going to be a decent day today. Looks like it's going to be a amazing week of weather forecast. Um, lows are going to stay for the most part above 40 and the highs are going to stay from 60 to 70. Man, that is just, that's Goldilocks level weather. That is exactly what we would like to see. So that gives you a chance to get out there and do some things. Is it the last freeze? Of course not. This is Texas. For some reason, we have some really nasty Valentine's days around here. They tend to get cold or nasty or ice storms or even snow. So you can get a lot of work done. Just uh, wonderful weather to be doing it in. Yes, you can plant seeds. You want to plant another round of beets, carrots, cabbage, broccoli, mustard, kale. Go for it. Go for it. We've got plenty of time, and this great weather will help those seeds start nice and quickly. Worst case scenario, you get them all in there, and we get one of those crippling freezes. Eh, okay. It won't freeze forever. And you can um, put in new seeds after a big, heavy freeze. But this is really gardening weather. This is really great gardening weather. Let's go to the phone. This is Jonathan. Jonathan, what can I help you with? Yeah, just a quick question. Every so often you have to empty the ashes out of your fireplace. Can the ashes be used in your landscaping or just throw them in the trash? They can be. Part of the problem is it's really easy to overdose on the potassium that's in those ashes. So use um, kind of judiciously uh, when you put them in the soil, dust the soil, don't dump a ton and work it into the soil, but you can use the ashes in your soil. It is not a nutrient that we really have a problem with here. So, like I said, don't overdo it, but you can use them. All right. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call. It must be fireplace time of the year, I guess, right? Um, you can use the ashes. You just have to be a little careful with them. You don't need huge amounts. I got texted something about chiggers and they asked a really good question. I hope you're listening. I, I'm not gonna type all this up. I do wanna talk about it for a little bit and they, they bring up a really good point. Chiggers have 
two major seasons here in Texas. We basically have two terrible times with them. The adult chigger is not our problem. That's not the one that bites you and makes you go crazy itching it. It's the juvenile, the teenage chigger. He's the one that bites and causes that terrible itch. We normally see those at the roughly as we start to move from spring to summer. And there'll be another big flush of them September, October timeframe. Now it's possible there is always a juvenile chigger somewhere on your property. At all times of the non-freezing weather. But the worst environment is uh, early spring, early summer time frame, late spring, early summer. And the other one is late summer, early fall. So we have basically two cycles of chiggers. Now, the person that sent this in brings up a good point. How many of you have friends or family coming down to see the eclipse? In April, April 8th, yeah, there'll be chiggers. So either treat your friends and family, <laughs> you can do that, or treat your property to reduce the chiggers. Let's go to the phone. This is Billy. Billy, what can I help you with? Uh, yes. I've got a, a bay leaf, a, a bay laurel, and it seems like I'll get green leaves, mature leaves, and then about three or four days, they just start turning brown at the tips and going back to the stem. What could I be doing wrong? You may be giving it excess water. It may be too wet. It, it will be happier on the dry side of things. Um, okay. It also, cold. Believe it or not, the cold can really do that to one, too. They'll come back. They just can look a little shabby sometimes. Okay. Well, I, I'd use that trifecta from McIntyre's, and I'm trying to do that like once every once a week or once every two weeks. And uh, the other question I have, I'm fixing to make some uh, beds in them uh, water troughs. Mm -hmm. It's my understanding you put a layer of gravel down first, and then you put some uh, uh, weed cloth. Is that true? That's up to you. You don't have to have the gravel at the bottom. If you okay. do and you put weed cloth on top of it, you're just kind of helping ensure it's going to drain. If you don't have any holes at the bottom for that water to drain out, you're not helping yourself with the, the gravel at the bottom. That's the idea okay. behind it. It helps ensure that the excess moisture will easily drain out of the containers 
and dry out the soil that's in them. Um, Up to you. Doesn't have to be really deep. Uh, An inch worth of gravel and the, the weed barrier will really help you put the soil on top and give the soil an easier way to drain. Have you ever heard of them using that them packing peanuts instead of the gravel? Yeah, you know, the, the problem that... is they'll compress. Think about oh. a rock, gravel, you're not going to squeeze it. Those packing peanuts, they can wind up getting crushed. And they'll crush in such a way to make a barrier. They'll actually block the water flow. Plus, you don't know if you've got packing peanuts that dissolve in water or not. Those are the new thing. That would be really, that would kind of defeat the purpose there. But the gravel's going to be better than the packing peanuts. Well, okay. I greatly appreciate your information. Thank Thank you again. Thank you for the call, Billy. Good luck. Yeah, folks, packing peanuts will give you a barrier. But because you can squeeze one of those in your fingers, imagine putting all that soil on top of them. You're going to wind up flattening them out, and they're going to become like a sheet of plastic. This is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, Somebody mentioned, and this is true, folks, if you have a fireplace and you've got a bunch of ashes um, and you have chickens, they will love to take a dust bath in it. It helps them get rid of the mites. Diatomaceous earth will do the same thing. But DE isn't free, so you could get a pretty big bag that'll last you a long time. It's not real expensive. But the ashes can be used for the chickens to dust bath in. That helps keep their mites down, helps keep your chickens happier. And they'll also kind of pluck it. Well, I don't know. What what do you what's the word for chicken eating? Um not eating the chicken, but the chicken doing the eating. Uh, they will wind up with some of that in their gut and that provides them some nutrients they need. So that is a good way to use uh ashes. Not everybody has chickens, I understand that. I understand that, but it, Peck, thank you. Uh, You can, if you do, you can get some extra mileage out of that, um, extra mileage out of the ashes. Let's go to the phone. This is Larry. Larry, what can I help you with? Well, I want to know when I should spread the corn gluten on my lawn. I have St. Augustine and some weeds. I've got a lot of weeds and a pretty big lawn, but I I did corn gluten once before, and it helps. But when should I put it on the lawn? 
If you have weeds that are already growing, corn gluten is not going to do a thing to those weeds. Right. It's only going to stop weed seeds from germinating. You can probably wait a couple of weeks. Let's wait and see if two weeks from now um, we get a hard freeze or we're going to get decent weather. If we have okay. weather like this week, Two weeks from now would be a good time to put down the corn gluten because it'll last about eight weeks. And Uh, that covers most of the spring weeds that'll be popping up and the early summer weeds. So you're, you're close, Larry. You're really close. But I would give it at least a couple more weeks. Okay, I'll do it. And one other question. There are several companies that they come by once a month and spray for weeds. And uh, the, I guess there's several in Austin that do that. Those things, um, are they any good? Uh, should uh, What about when they do spray? Doesn't, it seems like that they're supposed to kill the weeds, but it costs you. It's a little expensive. Yeah, that's kind of a personal choice thing. There are folks who have their lawns treated every month. And technically speaking, um, there is always some kind of weed that could be popping up every day of the year in Texas. That's just how it is. So spraying once a month really can help keep ahead of it. The question becomes, what are they using? Because some of those things are a little tough on the environment particularly on our water table. Some of those Mm. products wind up being uh, drowning down into the water table, and there's no way to remove them from the water. So um, it it just depends on how much it is to you to be weed-free. I'll just stay with the corn gluten, and thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Larry. Uh, yeah, folks, there are places that will come and spray your lawn every month, and uh, those products are always kind of questionable. They may say, oh, we're safe and we do this. You want to read their, you want to look them up and you want to do a little research on them because there are some products that are, Generally accepted as safe. G-A-A-S is the term. And generally accepted is kind of the weakest approval that, yeah, really, these these things are okay. Up to you. It, It really is. Just be informed hold their feet to the fire and make them bring their MSAs to tell you what the chemicals are and what are in them before you start purchasing any of these products. But it's your choice. It is a way to really control the weeds. Now, someone has asked the question, and when it comes to the chiggers, Is it sulfur 
or Cedarside, which is the cedar oil-based sprays that are pretty effective against not just chiggers, but lots of bugs. That's up to you. I have used both. I have been happy with both products. It kind of comes down to cost. And when I say cost, it's not just buying a bottle of something. It's, I bought a bottle. How much ground does that bottle cover? I've got an acre. I do not treat the entire acre. But the area that I do treat, the sulfur has been for me, for me, when I do the math, the sulfur is a better uh, value at keeping the chiggers away for me. You may find that you would prefer the cedar side for its scent or its how much you need to cover your particular piece of ground. So a lot of choices there. Someone has asked, when should you plant glad bulbs? Um, interesting, they mentioned bulbs. I got a note here I was supposed to mention. Um, I had a very nice patch, probably 10 square feet of schoolhouse lilies doing just wonderful. They were going crazy. And now they're all black <laughs> and laying on the ground because of the freeze. It knocks stuff back. Those bulbs are fine. They're not going to be harmed. As soon as we warm up again, they're going to pop right back up and put on new leaves. Would you be planting bulbs now? You can plant bulbs now. Lilies, not too bad a time to try. What about glads? Those can go in now also. These are plants that should um, naturalize. Couldn't think of the word, sorry. That should naturalize. Meaning once you get them planted and they start growing, you should never have to remove them or put in new. Just understand if you're planting them now, it is a possibility that they will grow and you'll get pretty green leaves, but you won't get any blooms yet. That's a thing bulbs can do to you. They'll grow and put on their leaves, but they won't put on a flower for you. They will next year. They will next year and they'll be fantastic. So don't expect the best of blooms putting bulbs in the ground now. You will probably have better blooms next season. You will probably get blooms this season, just not the most robust or uh, largest quantity of blooms from a bulb in the ground now. I have no concerns about the dead leaves on my schoolhouse lilies 
They'll come back and do just fine. They will be, I, I may have to separate them next year because they'll be doing so well. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Got to take a break for the news. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Kate. Kate, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay, I'm calling because I have a uh, Meyer lemon I've probably had for 10 years, and it's covered in scale, and I'm wondering if it's worth doing anything about it, or just should I start over? Oh, no. Scale is a pain. Scale is not um, healthy to the plant, but scale is not particularly difficult to get rid of. Get yourself horticultural oil or neem oil and you want to go out there and you want to soak that plant I mean spray it so that everything is dripping come out again in four or five days maybe and do it again you here's the problem you're gonna kill a lot of the scale but they're not going to know they're dead <laughs> I, I they're not going to just jump off of the plant when when you kill them they're going to stay stuck on there so spray and really wet the tree down and do it if you could do it three times in the next two weeks i think you'll see you'll really get ahead of it again you may want to look at fertilizing the plant. You want to encourage some new growth to replace the worst of the damage. But you can you can get that uh, lemon to come back. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You bet. Yeah, folks. There are some bugs where you're like, oh, I just want to give up. But you don't have to. It's not that you need a heavier poison. Sometimes all you have to do is take care of the plant more frequently than every Saturday. Saturday may be your gardening day. Great. Sometimes the bugs don't want to cooperate. They may be a problem that they can reproduce fast enough that spraying only on Saturday, you're not gonna keep ahead of them. Now, scale is a, a little bug, and when it's a juvenile, it can move and find a spot that it wants. Once it gets there, it kinda knocks its legs off and sticks to the plant and starts sucking out juices. When it dies, it's still stuck to the plant. You can take a fingernail or something and scratch a little bit and you can knock them off, but they may stay, stay on there and you may look and go, wow, they're, they're not falling off. They're dead, 
but they're still stuck to the plant. And what you're doing with the horticultural oils, you're suffocating them. Spraying oils on them will cover them and block their breathing. So that is an easy way to really attack the scale. Number two, one of the best scale-eating insects are green lacewings. Not the flying part, not the adult green lacewing, but the juvenile. It looks like some nasty, terrible, it's not even a crocodile. It's got these big spikes in the front of it that it uses to grab an insect and then it punctures it and sucks all the juice out of the insect. Lacewing larvae are fantastic. They are fantastic. Heavy-duty eaters. They can eat an insect twice their size. They're a super beneficial insect. They won't ever bother you. They're too small to hurt you. But the more of them you can have, the better. By spraying the plant and soaking and, and suffocating the, the uh, scale, it is the least impactful on things like lacewing eggs. So go to your favorite search engine on the internet and look up green lacewing eggs. That way you can see what they look like so you know that once those start showing up, you're going to get some help from the beneficial insects to get rid of your bad guys. But green lacewings are some of the best against scale. And like I said, they don't hurt you. They don't hurt the plant. Now, the adult lacewings, they're kind of useless. I mean, they don't really eat bugs for you. They just lay eggs for you. And that's fine because the more lacewing eggs you can have, the more you can have lacewing larvae. And when you look up these buggers on, on the webs, they are, uh, the eggs are laid on the end of about a two inch long stalk. It's like a, a piece of hair. It is super thin and strong. At the end of it is the egg. The reason they, that happens is when the egg hatches, it will eat the stalk that the egg was laid on. That way it doesn't, they're so voracious that if it didn't have the stalk, it would go and find the first egg it could and eat it. So it would, it's a cannibal. So having this lacewing, you really have a super duper beneficial. Now, there is another beneficial insect, not anywhere near as uh, prevalent, but you can find them in your garden, and that's called a minute 
pirate bug. Yeah, we have pirate bugs. Um, it has it has this long spike for a nose. It's it's like a, a hypodermic, and what it does, it goes around and it spears the insect. You know, runs up to it, stabs it, and the insect winds up riding on the minute pirate bug hypodermic needle, and it'll stack up several bugs to eat in the process. So you may find one and it'll have, you know, a couple of aphids or maybe it has several scale all stuffed onto its nose that it'll stop somewhere and eat. My new pirate bugs are nowhere near as prevalent as green lacewing uh, larvae but by reducing the amount of nasty sprays that you use in your garden, the more you will have those kind of beneficial insects. The more beneficial insects, the less bad guys, and you don't have to deal with them. Nature runs pretty much on her own clock. She doesn't need your help or supervision and following some really simple rules, really simple rules, your garden can be taken care of by the beneficial insects that you don't have to worry about. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Listen, um, you know what time of the year it is, don't you? It's coming up on potato time. Normally... We look at planting tomatoes around, dang it, I knew I was going to do that. We look at planting potatoes around President's Day. You want to start preparing your bed now if you can. You want a good eight inches of depth and uh a fair quantity of organic matter blended in to that eight inches of soil. You want a nice loose till for the potatoes. What kind of potatoes? Well, anything that is a potato can be planted now. Sweet potatoes are not potatoes, all right? We're talking about the classic, what they call Irish potatoes. If you get a large potato, you can cut it into pieces. You want each piece to have about two eyes on it, two of those little bumps. Those are going to become the potato stems, the shoots. If you have small potatoes, 
which are no small potatoes. Yeah, okay. If you have small potatoes, whether they're a fingerling or maybe they're one of those round new potatoes, they call them red potatoes. If they only have like two or three eyes on it, you can plant the whole thing. Just drop it in the hole. But to not waste them, to get the most potatoes out of them, cut them so that there are about two eyes on each piece. When you cut them, pour out a little powdered sulfur into a container and drop the potato in there and kind of spin it around so that you coat the potato with sulfur. It does, it needs to be a dusting. You don't want chunks of it. Take the potato and set it on a paper, uh, a newspaper or a paper towel and let the cut sides callus over. They'll become hard. Once they do, could take about a week. Once they do, go plant them about eight inches deep, about a foot apart into that trench you worked on, that eight inch deep, good tilt trench. That's how you start your potatoes. Approximately 90 days from now, 90 days from now, you should be able to harvest potatoes. And the thing about these kind of potatoes that you planted, the tuber will grow very close to the bottom of the stem. You generally don't have to really dig all over to find them. They'll be close. You can actually sample them. Slide your fingers into the soil at 45 days and see if you can feel any of these tubers forming. When you think it's been 90 days, work your fingers in there and see if you have potatoes. Each plant should give you more than one potato. In a really good bed, one potato piece will grow you a plant that can produce up to five pounds per plant of potatoes. Pretty good deal, five to one. Now, two pests are terrible. Fire ants, they will chew into the potato, try to make a nest in them, they'll ruin it. And you won't find out till you go and stick your fingers in there to see if there's a potato in the fire ants attack yet. Number two is grubs. Those brown-headed white worms that form a C. If they were laying on the ground, they make this little C shape. The grubs will also eat the potatoes. Chew on the roots, not what you want. One of the best ways to control that is to use beneficial nematodes. Get a package of beneficial nematodes and 
Split them in half if possible. Mix up one half and drench the soil. Water the beneficial nematodes into your potato bed. Approximately six weeks later, repeat with the second half of your beneficial nematodes. What you're doing is you're really building up a protection in the soil that'll drive away the fire ants and the grubs to help protect your potatoes from being eaten or damaged or looking terrible. We get a pretty good harvest here for potatoes. Whether you want um, a standard, you know, baking potato, you want a Yukon gold type, you want a red type tomato. We even have blue tomatoes. They will grow here. And the blue tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, taste just fine. They're really cool for kids. They love when you pull out a potato and it's blue. I don't know. Some kids will go, I ain't eating that. That doesn't look right. Okay, you can eat it. We also have what are called fingerlings. Imagine a potato two to three inches long and all of maybe half an inch in diameter, three quarters of an inch in diameter. Those are fingerlings. And there's a lot of different kinds of fingerlings. They are real potatoes. They are awesome potatoes. They are really good. You can grow those also. Um, again, roughly 90 days, you should start being able to pull up your tomato potatoes. God, they're too similar to each other. Uh, you should be able to pull them up and have a nice harvest. Do not, do not pull them up and wash them. Pull them up, spread them out in the shade on a big newspaper. Leave the dirt on them. Wait until they dry a little bit. The mud on them will dry out. The skin will dry and harden, be tougher. Take a soft brush. You can use a toothbrush, but I would use something bigger if you can. And brush all the dirt and nastiness off of the potatoes. Now they can go into storage someplace, and they can last up to 90 days if you keep them in cool storage. So you could have potatoes for quite a while if you get a harvest. And all kinds of potatoes. Like I said, big bakers, you could get Yukon Golds, you could get uh, red potatoes, you could get blue potatoes, you can get um, fingerlings, lots of variety. And now is the time of the year to think about it. Prepare the growing location first. 
Really break up that soil, loosen it best you can, add plenty of organic matter and blend it in. You want an honest eight inches of depth of this good soil. You can buy a seed potato. Seed potatoes are certified to be disease free. You can also buy an organic potato from your favorite grocer and plant it. It must be organic because some potatoes are sprayed with a chemical to prevent them from sprouting. And that wouldn't do you any good to have potatoes that won't sprout. But seed potato or get yourself an organic potato from the grocery store. Both will work and both will give you a crop. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour. We'll break for the news. I will talk to you all again tomorrow at 8 a.m.